Well, Pastor Tina and I fought for those bouquets at Hannah and Adrian's wedding. Hopefully we won't be fighting over the same person. <laughs> but of course I would win. Just don't tell her that. <laughs> Good morning and welcome to you and welcome to our radio listeners as well. There was a man who had just gotten out of the shower when all of a sudden he heard a bunch of commotion downstairs. Now knowing that his wife had already left and gone out, he wondered who could be in his house. And so he kept hearing the noise go on and on. So of course, after jumping out of the shower, he ran, he grabbed his rifle, and he proceeded to go downstairs to find out who was in his house. As he crept down the stairs slowly, he heard that the noise was coming from the kitchen. He went into the kitchen and all of a sudden he jumped out to see who it was when he saw his wife unloading the dishwasher. His wife said, what are you doing? He says, well, I heard a noise and I thought it was a burglar, so I came downstairs to scare them with my rifle. His wife looked him up and down and said, honey, you didn't need the rifle. <laughs> <laughs> if you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to Second Samuel chapter eleven? Second Samuel chapter eleven. And if you are able to, would you stand with me as I read the word of the Lord? And we'll be reading verses 1 to 17 and then verse 26 and 27. 2 Samuel chapter 11, starting from verse 1. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a beautiful woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. And David said someone to find out about her. The man said, isn't this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him and he slept with her. She had purified herself from her uncleanliness. Then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David, saying, I am pregnant. So David sent word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent him to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked how Joab was, how the soldiers were, and how the war was going. Then David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. So Uriah left the palace, and a gift from the king was sent after him. But Uriah slept at the entrance of the palace with his master's servants and did not go down to his house. When David was told, 
Uriah did not go home. He asked him, haven't you just come from a distance? Why didn't you go home? Uriah said to David, the ark and Israel and Judah are staying in tents, and my master Joab and the Lord's men are camped in open fields. How can I go to my house to eat and drink and lie with my wife? As surely as you live, I will not do such a thing. Then David said to him, stay here one more day, and tomorrow I will send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. At David's invitation, he ate and drank with him, and David made him drunk. In the evening, Uriah went out and slept on his mat among his master's servants. He did not go home. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it with Uriah. In it, he wrote, put Uriah in the front line where the fighting is the fiercest, then withdraw from him so he will be struck down and die. So while Joab had the city under siege, he put Uriah at the place where he knew the strongest defenders were. When the men of the city came out and fought against Joab, some of the men in David's army fell. Moreover, Uriah the Hittite died. Verse 26. When Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned over him. After the time of mourning was over, David had her brought to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this passage of Scripture. And Lord, we pray that this morning you would open up our hearts and our minds to your truth and to your word. May you speak to us, Lord, and may you help us to be obedient to respond to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Feel free to be seated. King David was one of the top-ranking warriors. From his early days, he had won many military battles. He was a strong fighter, and many people had respected him. And for whatever reason, on this occasion, he decided that he was going to stay back while he sent Joab and his other soldiers to fight. And so it says that one night when he couldn't sleep, he was walking around the rooftop of his palace and all of a sudden he saw this beautiful woman bathing. He had seen her bathing and he decided that he was going to summon her and call her after finding out who she was. Now, why was it that he was able to do that? Well, He was able to call her and have her come simply because he was the king. He was the king. He had the power and the authority to do so. And because he was the king, no one dared to question what it was that he wanted. No one dared to question or challenge what he was doing. And because he was the king, he pretty much could do almost anything he wanted to do. You see, it's important that he, yes, carry out his regular responsibilities, but it's also important that he still do the right thing. And sometimes when someone has a high position, when someone has a lot of power and authority, 
it can cross their mind to abuse that power and authority. And it is important for us to remember not to abuse our power and authority that's given to us. Not to abuse those things because with it comes responsibility. David had responsibility and he had the responsibility of leading and guiding the Israelite people. They had entrusted into him that responsibility as king to do so. And he was doing that, but because of this situation, it came up, and he knew that he had the power and the authority to summon and to bring this woman in. We need to be careful not to abuse our power and our authority. Be careful not to abuse that, whether it's a lot of power or authority, whether it's a little power and authority, it's important not to do that. You see, David called in Bathsheba, and for whatever reason, Bathsheba, she complied with whatever his wishes were, whether it was out of loyalty for the fact that he was the king and he had called her in, or whether she feared for her life because she was scared that if she didn't do what the king wanted, that she would be put to death or have consequences. As king, people look to David to lead them and to guide them, not to abuse power and authority. Unfortunately, David took advantage of that. David took advantage of the position that he had, and it's important for us to be careful when we are entrusted with a position not to take advantage of it, not to take advantage of whatever power or authority is given to us. So for example, if you are an employer and you have many staff members working for you, don't abuse that and threaten to fire them if they don't do their job all the time or overwork them and undercompensate them. If you are a coach and you have the ability to put whoever you want on the court or on the field, just because a player isn't as good as the rest doesn't mean you should always bench them and not give them the ability to play. If you have the privilege of hiring someone and that's been entrusted to you, just because you know someone who needs a job doesn't mean that they should automatically get that job when there may be someone who's more qualified qualified for the job. If you are in law enforcement, just because you have the authority to go through red lights and stop signs with your siren doesn't mean that you should because you just want to get your shift over with on time or not wait in traffic. Just because you're in a relationship or a marriage and you know that the other person is in love with you and would do almost anything for you doesn't mean that you have the right to treat them as your slave and to make them do that for you. We need to be careful not to abuse power and authority given to us, whether it's in our workplace, whether it's in school, whether it's at church or in your relationship or family, whatever it is, we need to be careful not to abuse the power and authority entrusted to us. Unfortunately, David abused that power. He abused that authority. And that night when he brought Bathsheba in, it was important that you understand that even before she was called in, he sent someone to find out about her. He sent someone to inquire about her. And what did he find out? He found out that not only was she married, 
but she was married to Uriah, who was a soldier in his army. He found out that she was married, and forget about who she was married to, the bottom line was she was married and that should have been it. <laughs> she was married and that should have been it, but instead, he took the second look. And because of the lust, because of the temptation, he decided, bring her in, call her in. What can we learn from that? It's important, don't flirt with temptation. Don't flirt with temptation. Don't give it the second look. Don't allow it to linger in your mind. Don't allow it to continue to consume your thoughts and consume everything that you are. You see, in itself, temptation is not a sin. It's not from God, but it's not a sin. But the longer we allow temptation to linger in our minds, the longer we think about it, the longer we contemplate on it, the more likely it will become action. And that action leads to sin. And so it's better for us not even to flirt with temptation at all, not even to consider it. The Bible talks about taking our thoughts captive, taking our thoughts captive and getting rid of those things that are not pleasing to God, thinking about things that are good, that are noble, that are right, that are lovely, that are pure, that are admirable. Those are the things that we should fill our minds with and think about especially when it comes to, to sexual sins. The Bible says, it, it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18, flee from sexual immorality. It says flee from it. It doesn't say don't allow it to continue to, to go on. It doesn't say, you know, let it go or stay away from it. It says run from it, <laughs> to flee from it. The Lord's Prayer, it talks about lead us not into temptation. It doesn't say deliver us from temptation. It doesn't say help us when we're in temptation. It says lead us so we're not even close to it. Help us so that we stay away from it. Because the more tempted we are, the more likely we are to fall into that temptation. And it's better for us just to stay away, to do all that we can, than to try to practice self-control in the midst of that temptation when we most likely will stumble and fall. You see, there's so much temptation around us in this world. There's so much going on in this world that causes enough temptation. The temptation every day to lie or to cheat or to steal or to lust or to overeat or to do drugs or to go places that we shouldn't. There's enough temptation as it is. And it's important for us to take steps to try to stay away from those things. It's important for us to know our weaknesses to know our weaknesses. You see, when we talk about temptations, temptations are not huge things that come like a warning signal. They're those small, subtle things that the devil throws at us. He knows our weaknesses and they constantly creep in when we least expect them at our weakest point. And that is why we stumble and fall. But when we know our weaknesses and we identify what those things are, then we're able to be on our guard more likely. It's also important that you have maybe someone that you trust who can serve as an accountability partner that you can call upon or you can talk to that can pray for you and that can keep you accountable for those actions that you can say, you know, 
I fell in it again, or I, I'm going through this and I'm really struggling and I need you to pray for me. Someone that you trust. You see, temptations that are all around us come in different ways. And many times, they just come, and we can't control that. We have no control over them. However, there are some temptations that we can do our part in trying to avoid, in trying to avoid and trying to stay away from. What do I mean by that? Well, if you know that you have a tendency to drink if you know that you have an alcohol problem, if you know that you can't go somewhere where there's alcohol and not drink, then don't go and find yourself hanging out with your friends in a bar. Stay away from that temptation altogether. Don't say in your mind, okay, this time I'm not going to drink. Just don't go. <laughs> Stay away from it altogether. If you know that you are constantly getting in trouble because you're keeping the wrong friends and you're hanging out with the wrong people, stop hanging out with them. Don't say, well, if they do it, I'm just going to stand there and I'm not going to do it or I'm not going to go that place. Just don't hang out with them. If they're causing you trouble, stay away from them. Simple as that. If you constantly have the urge to view pornography, Keep your computer in a common space in the house. Don't keep it in a private room or in a private section locked away where nobody is there, where no one can see it. Keep it in a common area so that other people are around, so that it will help them. Also, block those websites on your computer so that even if you do try to go or someone else tries to go on, you won't get on. Take steps to try to avoid temptation altogether. Together. Another thing, when we talk about dating, and, and this may be just my personal opinion, and so if it's not yours, my apologies, but I don't believe that someone should date too young, because when you're too young, you're not ready any time to get married, and there are just too many temptations going on. And so it's better for you to focus on school, focus on your education, grow up, find out who you are, build your relationship with God, get a good job, and then worry about dating. <laughs> there are just too many temptations. And so when you are ready to date and when you are in a relationship, set boundaries. Set boundaries in those relationships where the other person is clear of what you will and you will not do. Also, don't find yourself at home alone with that person. Don't find yourself in their home or in your home alone because that causes temptation. Everything is set up. You need to do your best to try to avoid temptation at all costs. If you are married, try not to spend too much time with someone of the opposite gender, whether at work, at the gym, at school, wherever it is, be careful. Protect your marriage. Don't allow the temptation of that person creeping into your life and creeping into your head and, and slowly destroying your marriage and your relationship. You see, there are many temptations that just come at us, but I believe that there are a lot that we can do our best to avoid. And we need to do our best to know our weaknesses, to know what the devil is throwing at us and try to avoid them at all costs. The good news 
is that God will never allow us to be tempted beyond what we can bear. To know that no matter what we go through, he is there and he will help us. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 says, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to man and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. What that means is that none of us can ever say, I just couldn't. I couldn't overcome it. It was too much for me. No, there's always a way out. There is always a way out, and he provides that. And so may we do our best to avoid temptation, to not even flirt with it, to not even allow it close to us, to stop it in its tracks, and to not let it come any closer. No matter how strong self-control we have, don't flirt with temptation. Well, unfortunately, David gave over to that temptation. He gave over and he committed sin with Bathsheba. Now, instead of owning up to the mistake that he had made, he did his best to try to bury it and to cover it up and to come up with uh, different excuses. You know, the truth is and the reality is that trying to bury the truth will only cause you to deep a digger pit. Trying to bury the truth and trying to cover it up will only cause you to make that pit deeper and deeper and deeper. And unfortunately, David knew that it was going to be trouble for him, and he tried very hard to cover up what had happened instead of dealing with the consequences. Instead of dealing with the consequences, he devised a plan and his plan was to bring Uriah, Bathsheba's wife, home and basically try to get him to go and sleep with his wife. So she would sleep with him. She would become, he would learn she was pregnant and pass off the baby as his baby. However, it didn't work out the way that he wanted it to. It says that he basically went home and instead of going to his house, he slept at the entranceway. He didn't go and sleep at the house, and so that plan didn't work. So David devised another plan. So instead of now just thinking he'll go, David decided to invite him to eat and to drink and get drunk. And surely he thought now he's going to go home and he's going to sleep with his wife. He's not going to remember what happened, and I'm free only to realize again, he went and he slept at the mat with the other servants and did not go and lay with his wife. You see, trying to go and bury the truth only causes it to go deeper, causes things to go further. And now it came to the point where David was so desperate. He was so desperate to cover up what he had done. It had gone too far that now he felt that his only, his only option was to kill Uriah. The only option was to kill Uriah, to take Bathsheba as his wife, and so nobody would know that they slept together and had a child out of marriage. Nobody would know. He went and he buried the truth, and instead of just confessing, it went deeper. Sometimes people think that not telling the truth is better because they wouldn't have to deal with the consequences. They won't have to deal with the reality. They won't have to deal with the punishment or whatever, or they're protecting themselves or other people. But the truth is that the more lies we tell are the more lies we will have to tell. 
You see, when you tell the truth, you never have to remember who you told and what you told because it's the truth. <laughs> but when you tell a lie, you have to tell another lie to cover that lie and then another lie to cover that lie and then so on and so forth. And then you start losing track of who you told what to and what lie you told to cover that lie and what lie that will. And you see, lies ruin things. They ruin things. They ruin relationships. They ruin reputations. They ruin careers and families and other people's lives and possibly other people's families. And when we tell lies, we often start to become slaves to those lies that we tell. A little boy was visiting his grandparents when he was given his first slingshot. He practiced in the woods, but he could never quite hit his target. As he came back to his grandma's backyard, he spied her pet duck. On an impulse, he took, he took a, a aim for it and let that rock go, and he hit the duck and killed it. The boy panicked desperately. He hid the duck in a pile of wood, and he looked up only to see his sister watching. Sally had seen everything that happened, but she said nothing at all. So, after lunch that day, Grandma said, Sally, let's wash the dishes. But Sally said, Johnny told me that he wanted to help you in the kitchen today. Didn't you, Johnny? She whispered to him, remember the duck? <laughs> so, Johnny did the dishes. Later, Grandpa asked if the children wanted to go fishing. Grandma said, oh no, Sally can't go because she has to help me make supper. Sally smiled and said, that's all right, Grandpa. Johnny told me he wanted to help Grandma make supper. She looked at Johnny and said, remember the duck? <laughs> After several days of doing both his and Sally's chores, Johnny finally had enough. It was enough, and he decided he was going to go to his grandma, and he was going to confess everything. So... Johnny went, scared, but knowing he would feel relief and told his grandma everything that happened. His grandma said, I know, Johnny. Giving him a hug, I was standing at the window and saw the whole thing. And because I love you, I forgave you. But I wondered how long you would let Sally make a slave of you. You see, when we continue to lie and to deceive, we allow those lies to make a slave of us. We are enslaved by those lies when the truth will set us free. When the truth will set us free. Trying to bury the truth will only cause you to have to deep, dig a deeper pit. What David did was wrong on many levels, and of course he knew it. Bathsheba knew it, and Joab knew it because he was the one who was asked to put him in the front lines and have Uriah killed. Yet because he was king, no one ever dared to question or say anything to him. You see, we may call it a mistake. We may call it a wrong done, even a transgression, an offense, an immoral act, but it's actually time that we call it for what it is. It's sin. We call it for what it is. What David did was not a wrong. It wasn't a mistake. It wasn't a moral act. It was sin that David did. 
And many times we like to cover up things and we like to, you know, put, put it around and make it look fancy. But when the truth comes out, the bottom line is that what he did was sin. Call it for what it is. What David did was sin. You see, sometimes we may be so concerned about offending other people that we don't always come out and tell them the truth or we tell them what they want to hear when we need to tell them what it is. And there are many people in our world, in our community, and even in the church that we may go to who are in sin. And it's time that they understand that it is sin. You see, we're so concerned about it, but the Bible says that God was displeased with David. Verse 27, he was displeased with David. Why? Because David had sinned. And when we sin, God is displeased with us. And we may not always realize it, but if, we're, if God is displeased with us, then the blessing is not coming. It's hindering our relationship with him. We're not growing. We're not doing well. We won't get ahead. But it's time that we stop reasoning and excusing what's going on, and we call it what it is. It's sin. You see, you feel that your friend doesn't deserve what he or she has, and you actually wish that they didn't have it and you had it. We may call it jealousy, but it's sin. That's what it is. You stole money from the company that you work for, and we call it embellishment, but it is sin. You're in a relationship and have sexual attraction to someone who is of the same sex. We call it in this world homosexuality when in fact it is sin. You're cheating on your spouse with another man or another woman. We call it an affair, but what it is, it is sin. You're living with someone or you're having sexual interaction with them and you're not married. We may call it common law, but guess what? It is sin. It's time that we stop trying to be concerned about how other people feel and we call it for what it is. And God wants us to come before him and he wants us to confess our sin and he wants to forgive us. But if we're not understanding what it is, then how can we go and confess and how can we be forgiven and how can we see changes happen? It's time that we call it for what it is. There are so many things in this world that are now acceptable and permissible, but when we look at the word of God, it says it is sin. And one of the worst things that we can ever experience is for God to be displeased with us. And the Bible says that he was displeased with, with David because of what he had done. You see, sin, no matter how we look at it, no matter how we try to reason it, is sin. Whether big or small, it's sin. It's the same thing. And the reality is that we need to start taking sin and the issue of sin more seriously. The Bible says that the wages of sin is what? Is death. The wages of sin is death, and I believe that sin wouldn't be so attractive if those wages were paid immediately. If those wages that we deserve were paid immediately upon sin, they wouldn't be so attractive. We are all sinners saved by grace. 
1 John 1.9 tells us that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. The good news is that yes, we are sinners, but we have a God who loves us, a God who understands, and a God who says, if you come and if you confess your sins, and if you ask me to forgive you, I will forgive you. I will purify you from all unrighteousness. I will cleanse you. And that is the good news, that he doesn't just leave us in our sin and tell us that we're condemned, but he says, I'm going to help you do something about it so that I no longer have to be displeased with you. You see, there are so many different choices that we have the ability to make. We were given free will. And the sum of all of where we are, of every choice we ever made, or some of all the choices that we ever made, where we are today. And if you don't like where you are today, then maybe it's time to start making some different choices. Because all of the choices that we've ever made are, have led us to where we are right now. And it's time that maybe we start making some other choices. The, the church should be a place where we can find freedom from our mistakes and not judged for our past and not judged because of them. But it's time that we call it what it is. And there is a lot of sin going on in our world, in our country, in other parts of the world, in our families. There's a lot that's going on. And we need to come before God and we need to confess and we need to pray and we need to ask him to have mercy upon us, to cleanse us, to purify us from all unrighteousness, to help us. Amen. And we're, there's many opportunities for us to do that. And you see, when we talk about revival, have we seen what true revival is? We have revival services coming up the end of September and I want to encourage you to, to make time to come that week, September 25th onward, each evening. Make time to come. But have we truly seen what revival is? Because the word of the Lord says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sins, and I will heal their land. My friends, I believe that it's time that we stop sitting back and watching sin go by. It's time that we start praying for our family members who are living in sin. It's time that we start praying for ourselves when we know there are things that are in our life that are not right. It's time that we start praying for our world and not just allow the sins of the world to take over, but things that were taboo years ago are openly celebrated today. And it's time that we as Christians stand together, take a stand, and not allow those things to go on any longer. And the word of God says that if my people, us, if we stand together, if we humble ourselves, if we come before God and admit God, this is a sinful world. Then I will hear from heaven. I will heal their land. I will forgive their sins. And I will bless them. And that's what we need. You see, when we truly experience revival from, the, from God, from the Holy Spirit, we'll be on our hands and our knees before God because we'll just see the awesomeness of God. In the sight of a holy God, that is when our sinfulness is revealed. I don't know about you, but I don't want to leave here the same that I came in. 
I don't know about you, but I want God to send revival. I want him to send it in this church. I want him to send it in every Bible-believing church. I want people to know the name of Jesus. I want the name of Jesus to be praised. I want when people hear Jesus that they have a reverence and a respect for him. That's what I want, for people to understand that there is one true living God and Jesus Christ is the only way. That's what I want. It's time that we call it for what it is. And I know that some of you are probably offended with me for saying that, but you know what, listen, listen. I'd rather you be offended with me right now than on that day say, why didn't you tell me? <laughs> It's time that we change. Worship team, would you come? My friends, would you stand with me? We thank you, Lord, that you are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love. We thank you that you do not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquity. We thank you, God, that as high as, as far as the east is from the west, so far have you removed our transgressions from us. We thank you, God, that you are faithful. We thank you, oh God, that you cleanse us when we come before you and, and confess and so, Father, we pray that indeed you would heal your people, that you would heal your land, that you would heal your church, that, God, you would have mercy. Lord, may you change us from the inside out. May our lives glorify you. May our actions and, and our words bring glory and honor to you, O God. And we pray, Father, that you would burn away that which does not belong, that, Lord, you would consume it like fire, that, God, you would help your name to be lifted lifted high, that all men might see that there is just one way and his name is Jesus. And so God, may you can come and may you help us as Christians to go into your world and to be living testimonies of what it is that you expect from us, oh God. So Lord, we thank you that we're not judged by our past, but that you indeed forgive us, oh God, and that you help us. And so Lord, as our brothers and sisters in Christ, we pray that you would help us to stand with them and that you would, Lord, help us not to accept the things of this world that the world says is okay, but Lord, to live according to your truth and your word. And so God, we thank you and we pray that you would help us and empower us and enable us to go into the world and be the light in this dark place. May you go before us, may you bless this week, and may you continue, Lord, to remind us of your presence in the powerful name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen.